This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. All right, hey, today we are kicking off a new series of messages called Community, Made for It, Work for It. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to explore how the scriptures teach us that we are designed to live together. We're designed to live in relationship with one another. And because God has designed us for that, we have to actually make an effort to live that way. He has cleared the path and charted the path, but we have to choose to walk the path. Um, and so I, I know when we talk about community, there are all kinds of, of reactions that, that come up. And so just kind of from the, the very beginning today, I want to make it very clear, we are all made for this. There is no one that's exempt from community. You were made for it. I was made for it. We are all made for community. Now, even when you see that, you, you have some thoughts maybe of like, well, I, I get that and I'm glad that we're doing that because I'm relatively new to Christian Chapel and it's time for all these people who've been here forever to be nice to me and invite me out to lunch, right? You might have that thought. I don't know. Maybe you don't. Um, if, if that's what you're thinking, I want to encourage you. If you've been here three or four months now, you're one of us. Like we're, we're in a very fun season of growth at Christian Chapel. So when you look around and feel like I don't know anyone, well, they don't know you either. Right? So, so say hi, take some initiative. Uh, if it's your first week or two, that's cool. We're not, we're not expecting that of you. But if you've been here three or four months, you know this is where God has called you and planted you, then that means you're part of the community and you take some responsibility for creating that sense of community for others. So uh, just go out, make those friendships, say hi to people. Um, now, now, I know some of us, the thought of community, you're thinking like, hey, that's good for some people, but I already have a friend. <laughs> right? I just... And I'm, I'm done. I, I, don't, I don't need any more. I don't want any more. Like I've heard of people who have fear of missing out. Maybe you have fear of being invited. Like you're just thinking the, the last thing I want. You know, you, you're like, I, not only am I fine to be left out, I just want to be left alone. That's all I really want. And so you're already terrified of, man, community. They're going to ask me to like talk to people go to a home group where I'm stuck in someone's home talking to them, right? Go out to lunch, go out to, and, and so if that's you, I just encourage you, relax just, just a little bit that, that extroverts love stuff like this. Um, and, and introverts, you might not, you might be a little shy. You might be a little withdrawn and yet you still know you do need community. You do need friendships. You do need relationships. And so we're just going to jump in today and see what the scriptures teach us about how we're made for this. And so really, regardless of your personality, regardless of how many friends you have or don't have, if you've been at Christian Chapel for 40 years or about 40 minutes now, uh, you were made for community. And so we see this beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to start in Genesis 1 this morning. We'll finish up in John chapter 17. And what we're going to see this morning is from Genesis to Jesus. It is made clear again and again and again that we are made for community. It starts in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me for you. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his image. Male and female, he created them. So the, the first thing we see in Genesis chapter 1, if we're talking about how we're made for community, we have to start with God and his eternal existence in community. 
So in Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our image. And so there's, there's two interpretations of what it means when God says, let us and our. Uh, both of them arrive at the same point for us this morning. So, so the first interpretation of who is God speaking of, because he doesn't say, let me make man in my image. He says, let us like make man in our image. So the, the first interpretation and, and more from a, a Jewish perspective is that God is speaking to the angelic host, the community of heaven that's gathered around him. Okay, so, so even there, we can see the sense of God exists in community. There are others like him and others with him, even though they're slightly different in their nature and being. So, so that's one, and it still points us towards community. The, the more traditional Christian understanding of that is when God says, let us make man in our image, it's one of our first introductions in Scripture to an idea that will later be developed that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. So that the Trinity is our Christian proof that God eternally exists in community. He's not on his own. He is, he's very much with us, among us, and wants us to have the same experience. So God says to himself, which is to Father, Son, and Spirit, let us make man in our image. So what that means for us today is to be made in God's image is to be made for community. Right, so, so that pushes back already against some of our resistance to community of, well, I'm just made to be alone. I'm just a loner. I like to be isolated. I like, now, now, you can be introverted, right? and, and, and you can be, and I, I think, I've probably told you this story before, but I always knew my wife was introverted, but I never actually knew what an introvert was until I married her. Does that make sense? Like I'd observed them from a distance, but I'd never seen one up close. Um, and, and, and so we were, we'd been married, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. I was a slow learner. Um, we had three kids. We went on vacation with my family. I'm the second of four siblings and my siblings all had kids and, uh, we're all cheap. So we had found about a 1300 square foot condo that we crammed 20 people in, <laughs> but it was a great deal. Uh, and, and it was, it was one of these three story things. And, you know, I could almost stand on, on one side and touch this wall and touch that wall. And, and we had the very bottom floor, uh, which was a room. And so, so we had that and, and my family, they're, they're loud. And there were a lot of little kids and, and specifically a lot of little boys. So there were a lot of just like little shirtless humans running around yelling and throwing things. Right. And, and so this kind of goes on and I don't think any of it. Cause you know, I'll yell at my nephew just as quick as I'll yell at my own kid. And, and so I'm just, I'm feeling very much at home. And, and I realized one evening after dinner, Angie's gone. And I didn't, I didn't know where she was. And so I, I walked up to the first floor or the, the top floor and she wasn't there. In the middle floor, we were all eating. I knew she wasn't. So I walked down to, to our room in the basement and I opened the door and she was sitting in the middle of the bed. And there's some debate among us still of if a lamp was on or not. So um, <laughs> since I'm telling it, she was sitting in the dark. And she's sitting in the middle of the bed and she's staring at the TV. And I thought, oh, she's just come down to, to kind of watch a show or do something. And so I walk in, I peek around, and I see the TV's off. And she's just sitting there in the dark staring straight ahead. You know, so like every husband, I assumed clearly I did something. I, I'm not sure what it was, but I have caused some level of offense. And so kind of tentatively, like the, the question no husband ever wants to ask, I asked of everything okay, right? And, and you just kind of tentatively, you're edging out. And she said, everything's fine. I just needed some time to myself. And it was the first time that I, I really understood it. For her as a true introvert, she, she was re-energized by time alone and we were sapping all of her energy. 
Now, some of you are, and Angie, because she's a nurse and because she's a pastor's wife, uh, you might not even look at her and think she's an introvert because she's learned in certain settings to be more extroverted. But at her core, that's how she is energized. And I know many of you are the same way. And so when you start talking about you were made in God's image and you were made for community, your initial thought is then why do I like being alone so much? If God really made me for this, shouldn't I enjoy it? And, and again, this is where we just want to understand. Being made for community doesn't necessarily mean you're made for big, loud spaces. It doesn't mean you're made for being in rooms full of strangers. It doesn't mean that you get excited as a kid for the first day of school because you can't wait to meet new people. Right? It might mean that God has created you. He's wired you. You're very introverted, very introspective, and you just need that solid core of like three or four friends, and you're good for your entire life. But no matter how small the circle is, God has made all of us in his image. And to be made in his image is to be made for community. And so what that means to us is that when God makes us in, our, in his image, it's not just so that we reflect him, not just so we can engage with him, but it means I have been created for you and you have been created for me. And my life will always be incomplete without an experience of community with other men and women who are created in the image of God. And so you might, I mean, you might, I don't know, anybody ever watch that show Alone or any of the other thousand shows based in Alaska? Yeah, like I, there, there's something in me every time I watch them that thinks I, I want to do that. I want to move out in the woods want to chop my own wood as long as I have plenty of food. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm not looking to starve, but I, all the other stuff, like it just sounds fun. It sounds exciting. And, and yet I know I would really enjoy that for about 48 hours. And like, where are the people? Where's somebody to talk to? Where's somebody to help me with this? And, and what is that? It's just inside of all of us. There is a longing and a desire to know and be known by other people. And that's not a sign of weakness. It doesn't mean you are frail or inadequate. It means you have been made in the image of God. And to be made in God's image is to be made for relationship with other people. So you will never be whole as long as you're alone. You are made to be with others. And those relationships take on all kinds of form. And, and if we don't believe it, you, you can keep reading, uh, reading through the Genesis story and you find God's response. When he makes man, Genesis chapter two, verse 18, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now this is, is God's declaration over Adam. And he's telling us we're not created to be alone. Right? It's, it's just a very simple, God looks down, all of creation is good, all of creation is perfect. And so Adam is actually existing in that alone type setting. He is in perfect relationship with God. He walks with him and talks with him. He is in perfect harmony with all of creation. All of his needs are being provided for. And yet God looks at Adam in that moment and says, this isn't good. This isn't what I made him for. I don't want him to be alone. And so God's response is to make a, a helper suitable for him. Now, normally, when we preach from Genesis chapter 2, we talk about marriage and how God has created us to exist together in this unique and powerful bond. And, and that's all true, and that's a great application. But for today, I just want us to focus on that first little line. It's not good for man to be alone. You were not created to live in isolation. You might need seasons of withdrawing. You might need moments to yourself, but you were never intended to live all alone. 
And so when you start to feel loneliness, when you start to feel overlooked or unseen, when you start to feel left out, when you begin to experience a thought of, I don't have a meaningful relationship with anyone in the world. If you think of, if my life falls apart today, whose doorstep am I going to show up on? And you can't come up with anything. It's a sign that you are not living as God intended for you to live. We're not designed to be alone. We're designed to be with God and with each other. Now, now my encouragement to you today is if you feel lonely, if you feel isolated, if you feel overlooked or unseen, it doesn't mean that there is something eternally broken in you that can never be fixed. But instead, I would encourage you to embrace those longings and embrace that discomfort as an invitation from God that's intended to compel you into community. That discomfort is given so that you don't settle into this place that you were not created to be in. And so as we start to feel those things, we start to move towards community. Now, as, as we see in the scriptures that we're made for community, we're made for relationship with God, we're made for relationship with each other. When God sees us by ourselves, he says, that's not good. I want to send someone to them. Then the question we have to ask is, if God made us this way, why do we have so much trouble experiencing community together? And, and I mean, it's the basic gospel story of God makes us good. He makes us to be whole. He makes us to be in strong relationship with him and with others. And then sin comes and ruins everything. And so, so in the same way, sin still ruins community. It can be your personal sin and your choices that you've made that ruin your experience of community. It can be the sins of others and how they affect you that ruin your experience of community. It could be the sins that exist in, in culture, in society, in the structures in which we live and work and go to school that ruin community. But all around and in everywhere we look, our experience of community is tainted by sin. And, and so what I want to do is, is take just a few moments and, and walk you through five of the, the most common excuses or reasons that I've been given over the years as a pastor for why people don't experience community. And what I want to tell you before we jump into those is at the core of every one of them is sin. It doesn't necessarily mean if, if so there's going to be some things that come up and you believe in them. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are living a sinful life because you believe them. But what it might mean is because of the sins of others, you now believe some of these things. Because of the sinful home in which you were raised, you believe these. Because of some of the sinful structures and belief systems in our society, we believe these things. And, and so what we want to understand this morning is if God's plan is for us to experience life-giving community, the enemy's plan is to do everything he can to keep us out of that community. Because if Jesus comes to give us life and life to the full, the enemy is going to nip, tear, and pull it every way he can to keep us out of that. And community is one of the primary ways that you will experience the fullness of life in Christ. It's one of the primary ways you'll experience the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the primary ways that you will use your gifts for God's glory. It's one of the primary ways that you will receive peace, comfort, and hope of God. And the enemy knows that and is determined to keep you from it. And so, so just let's kind of walk through these. So, so the first one we see is this idea of, well, I've been hurt in community. So, so I understand I made for community. I understand I should walk in community. I would like to do that. But let me tell you what happened to me. And, and I can tell you over almost 20 years now of some form of pastoral ministry, I've heard a lot of stories of hurt in community. 
Right? Because churches are, are not immune from attacks of the enemy. And, and churches that are supposed to be safe places, supposed to be sa- places where we come together, can become places of hurt, of trauma, of abuse. Right? And not just churches, but sometimes it's that, that parent-child relationship where early in life you experience some form of neglect, some form of harm, and it just it warped your heart in a really unique and powerful way. Maybe you entered into a marriage and you were betrayed or somebody turned their back on you. Maybe you had friends who, who gossiped and, and didn't really want you to be a part of them. We all have hurts from community in one way or another. And then the, what, the way the enemy comes in, whether it's a result of our sin, the sins of others, or, or just the, the systemic sin in our culture, is he comes in and tells you the last time you tried this, it didn't go well. You were hurt before and you can't risk it again. And so you make a determination that you're going to build up strong walls to protect yourself. And you might know people by acquaintance, but you will never know them deeply because you can't risk the hurt again. And what's at the core of that objection to community is really a belief that God can't overcome the things that have been done to you before. It's a belief that, well, if that was God's plan, it wouldn't have been so hard for me to experience it. And and so my my encouragement to you today is I understand you may have been hurt in community. You may have been hurt in this community. And yet what was done to you or what you participated in doing was not God's plan for you. And what has happened to you previously cannot keep you from the life God has for you in the future. The gospel story is all about forgiveness, restoration, reconciliation. It's about in every way the enemy attacks, Jesus overcomes. That every time he knocks you out, Jesus picks you up. And this remains true in your experience of community. So you could be here and say, hey, I've been in a church for decades, and I've never had a close friend. I've never had an honest conversation. I've never had someone that I know is praying for me at all times. And my encouragement to you today is that's what you were made for, and that's what's possible but it may and often will require you have to let go of those past hurts. Because as long as you're holding on to them, you're not going to be able to walk into that new life that Jesus has for you. So the the second objection we hear is is really closely related to that. It's I'm too insecure for community. So even this morning, as you you hear this idea of God created me for community, you think that's great. I'm just going to need everyone else to do all the work. Like I know he made me for this, but I'm going to need them to extend the invitation. Because I, I, I don't, one time I asked someone to go to lunch and they said no, and I took it as proof that no one likes me anywhere, right? Or I, I went to a home group and it really seemed like things were going well. And, and then I heard that two of them hung out on Friday night and they didn't invite me. I don't think they actually want me in the home group. I don't think they want me to be here. I don't think anyone sees me. I don't think anyone notices me. I don't think anyone knows me. And, and we've all been in those, those moments and those, those seasons where, where you're, the, you're the new guy, you're the new girl. You're the first one in and, and you kind of, now some of you, again, that, that energizes you and good for you, God bless you. For the rest of us, it terrifies us. Right, we just stand at the back convinced that we have nothing in common with anyone in the room. When I first came to Christian Chapel, I was a youth pastor and I would go to these youth ministry conferences where sometimes there'd be hundreds, sometimes there'd be thousands of, of men and women who were generally in their 20s like me, who were giving their lives to help teenagers experience Jesus, who were actively engaged in the local church, many of whom were married, many had small children like I did. A lot of them had went to some form of Christian university like I had. And I would stand at the back of the room and think, I don't have anything in common with anyone here. <laughs> like I, just, I'm, I, I can't reach out. I, what would I even talk to them about? 
right? And, and yet that's, that's how the enemy attacks us. Like you've gathered in a community centered around Jesus Christ as the most important thing in your life. And it really doesn't matter if you like anime or action movies, Jesus has a plan for you to connect with others. But what's the enemy say? He's like, no, actually you're weird and no one will like you. You're awkward and no one will want to talk to you. You're going to, you'll go to that home group, but it'll get quiet when you start to share. What's the reality? We're all weird. We're all awkward. We all have things we're interested in that others roll their eyes at when we start to talk about it. And yet, because we're kind and gracious, we allow each other space to do that. And so it's just that you're just going to have to overcome it. Right? In the same way that you might not be the best cook in the world, but I guarantee you still find a way to eat every day. You might be the most insecure person in the world, but the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit will help you take that first step to build those relationships. And that might be something as simple as I sign up for a home group, I accept an invitation to lunch, or for some of us, it might be really small. Today, before you leave, you're going to make eye contact with someone. That's it. That's all we're asking today. Before you leave, look at someone in the eye, and then walk out the door. That's fine. Progress. Next week, look at them. Hi. Keep going. Third week, hi. I'm Chris. You don't even have to wait for their name. Keep going. By the fourth week, you've met a person and you know their name, All right? By maybe five, six, seven. Now, now what you're going to find though, is some of you, God has a sense of humor. And the first person you're going to look at is going to be like Greg Jeffries. And you're going to look at Greg and be like, hi. And Greg's going to be like, I've been waiting for you to talk to me. Come here. Let's go. Let's have lunch. Let's, you're going to meet the biggest extrovert in the church. And what is God doing? He's just pulling you out of that and pulling you into relationship. Insecurity is not a spiritual gift. It is not how God wired you. It is not how God made you. It's a result of brokenness and sin, and it's something Jesus redeems and restores and leads us out of. Now, now the next one's kind of on the opposite end of that, and this is one people rarely say, but if you listen closely, you can hear the implications of it. I'm too successful for community. So you'll start to talk about, hey, we're, we're wired for community, we're designed for community, and, and occasionally I'll hear it of like, yeah, I mean, I, I get that, but Chris, what you don't understand is, Man, I'm really successful at work. I got to work a long time. I got a lot of hours. I've got a lot of responsibility. I just, I don't really have time to be doing this. I don't like, I don't have time for, to go to lunch. I don't have time to hang out on a Sunday. I'm an in and out and I got to get back to work. I got to get back to business. I've got to do the things that, that God has called me to do. And, and, and my, my pushback to you, if you find yourself, and again, nobody ever says that because it sounds really bad right? Like none of you are going to walk out when we do home group signups in a couple weeks. Nobody's going to walk around the room being like, too good for you, too good for you, too good for you, not handsome enough, not rich enough, not edgy. You're not good. I mean, if you do that, I'll almost stand in awe of the boldness, right? Because you're just owning it. You're just owning it. But, but what actually happens if this is what you believe, I'm, I'm too good. I'm too successful to be part of the community God has created. Just, just say it out loud at some point today. It might be in your car by yourself. It might be go home and shut the closet when you get home from church and, and just say out loud, God, I think I'm too good for community. Because as you voice it, what you recognize is there are sins of pride and arrogance that have taken deep root in your heart and that are repelling you away from God's plan for you. In essence, what you say when you, when you believe you're too successful for community is, Lord, I know I'm made in your image, but not in this one significant part. I know you exist in community, but I'm pretty good on my own. And, and also on the, the other side of that, what we have consistently seen over the years at Christian Chapel is the more successful you are, the more desperately you need authentic community. 
Right? So, so you, might be the, you might be the one who started the business, the one who runs the business, the one who's grown the business. But when you look around, every relationship you have in your life is somebody who depends on their paycheck from you. They're not going to tell you the truth. They're not going to call you out. They're not going to speak to the, the arrogance or pride in your life. They're not going to say, hey, I believe the Lord is telling you to, to do this or do that or to stop doing this or stop doing that. The more successful you are, the more you need to be rooted in a community of faith where others know you, where they appreciate what God has done for you, but they are not in awe of you. And they can speak truthfully to you and honestly with you. It's a desperate need that we all have. And, and then the next one is, again, kind of these are all just kind of cousins of each other. The next one is, I don't want to do community with them. And them is all kinds of people. <clears throat> sometimes I'm them. Sometimes you're them. But it's, it's just this idea of, Lord, I, I want community. But I just want it to be with people who are just like me. I, I just, you know, I'm not asking for much, Lord. I just want them to have been educated like me, to vote like me, to eat like me, to dress like me, to educate their children like me, to cheer for the same teams as me, to, you know, and, and by the time you're done, you realize you've created a list of like 17 things that no one in the world meets. And, and you see this in more serious ways of, of causes of division in our society. This is, this is the ground from which racism breeds of, well, I can't, I can't be in community with them. Their skin is different than mine. Their culture is different than mine. Their language is different than mine. I can't believe in community with them. Do you know who they voted for? I can't be in community with them. Like, I, I live in a gated neighborhood. I don't, but, you know, you might be saying this. If I live in a gated neighborhood. They'll, they'll, never, they'll never understand. Or, or maybe you have that other. I can't, be I can't be in community with them. They're, they're far too wealthy, and I feel inferior every time I'm around them. Or I can't be in community with them because we like to do these certain things on vacation, and they don't get to go on vacation. So I feel uncomfortable talking to them. Whatever it is, the enemy comes and uses it as a source of division. And so our job as followers of Christ is to remember when we're called to community, we're called to be part of a diverse community. All throughout the scriptures, we're told that God's plan is for every man, woman, and child that he has made in his image to walk in relationship with him and to walk in relationship with each other. And if this is God's plan, then it means we've just got to get over some of those differences. Now, now again, I, uh, so going back to my, my first, I think, two years as a youth pastor, I, uh, so I, I figured out I couldn't go to the big conferences because I didn't have anything in common with anyone. So I had to find smaller groups where I had stuff in common. So I was invited into this little uh, leadership cohort of about 12 youth pastors that met in Oklahoma City. Um, this was done actually through our denomination, through the Assemblies of God. And so I was, uh, I was sitting in my office one day, and a buddy of mine from church stopped by, and he was asking me what I was doing tomorrow. And I was telling him, like, i got to go over to this like, leadership thing. And he said, that sounds cool. And I told him, it's actually not. Um, you know, I just, I just again, don't, I don't have anything in common with them. Um, and what I meant was uh, they all want to talk about football, and I only want to talk about basketball. That was really what it had boiled down to. I mean, I was a, I was a very mature believer. But it's okay. I was influencing your kids. Sorry. Uh, so, um, so at that, at that time, my, my buddy though, he called me out on it. He was like, Chris, listen, he was like, so you're going tomorrow to a group of other guys. And, and this one was all men. He said, so it's a group of other guys who are all about your age, who all do the same things you do. They're all part of the assemblies of God. So you guys are even part of the same denomination. You've all chosen to make this investment. You're reading the same books. You're walking through the same material. I think you can find something to talk about. I was like, yeah, but basketball, 
You know, but this is, this is as, as dumb as it gets. Like, you, again, and we don't voice this, but we believe it and then we operate in it. And you go to a home group and you go away saying, I, I, I just can't, I'm just not like them. They're just not like me. Well, I just can't engage you. They're just not like, and, and what, what you're really saying is there's about one and a half percent of your life that you wish they would fall in line with. But because they don't, you can't talk to them about the other things that you have in common. And, in, and at its core, what is that? It's just sins of division, sins of separation, sins of either elevating yourself higher than you should or lowering yourself lower than you should. When in reality, all you're supposed to do is go in and just see yourself as I made the image of God and you're made the image of God and we're made to walk together in relationship. And then the, the last one we see is, is just a, a, a more subtle, not really even voice, but just lived of, I just don't need community. And this is something that, that sweeps throughout the church and especially I think the American church. And it's, it's rooted in our strong desire for every person to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is strong and powerful and biblical. I want you to know that you have made a commitment to follow Jesus. I want you to know that he is your personal Lord and Savior. I want you to know that you have a, an individual connection to him. And yet, especially in evangelical churches, sometimes we have pushed that so hard that we have lost connection with our need for community. And we think, as long as I prayed the prayer and as long as I maintain a connection with Jesus, I'm good. And yet what the scriptures teach us is to be connected to Jesus is to be connected to his people, to his body. And yet we, we just kind of fall into that of like, you know what, I'm good. I might, I might go to church. I, I know a few people. I have some acquaintances. But if we really look, do we have authentic community? Are we willing to put the time in to experience it? A lot of us have to admit, we don't. And we don't for a lot of reasons. Sometimes we don't because, you know what, I, I just don't want to make the investment. Sometimes we don't because I just want to travel. Sometimes we don't because it's easier just to stay home and watch online. Sometimes we don't because, I, you know, if you're going to build community, you're going to have some awkward conversations and some weird dinners at times. And you're just going to have to endure through that. And, and sometimes we don't for all of the reasons we've listed before. And yet, this one is the easiest for us to refute because the scriptures tell us you are made in the image of God. And to be made in the image of God means that I am made to benefit from you and I am made to be a benefit to you. And so I always have to exist in community and you always have to exist in community. Now, now we'll go over the next couple of weeks over other, other obstacles that we have to overcome to experience community. We're going to talk about how we have to put some effort in, how we have to engage, how we have to be willing to give and receive in community. But for today, what I want you to know is, is sin ruins community, but Jesus restores community. Right, John chapter 17, if you have a Bible, turn to verse 20 with me. John 17, verse 20, Jesus is praying for his disciples. So in the, the previous verses, he's prayed for his original disciples. As we get to verse 20, he's shifting and he's beginning to pray for everyone who will believe in him through the message of his original disciples. And so what that means is the prayer we're about to read is a prayer that Jesus prayed for everyone here today who surrendered their life to him. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear this as his prayer over your life. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. 
I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. So a couple things to notice there. Jesus prays that all of them, all of us, may be one, that we will be brought to complete unity, and that through that, the world will know that God sent Jesus. So, so a couple things to notice. It is, it's significant when anyone prays for you. At any time anyone prays for you, it, it's important and it matters. When someone says, I pray, I'm praying for you or I prayed for you, you know how that makes your heart and, and mind feel. And, and yet there's, there's another level when it's somebody that you really respect or look up to, somebody that you really admire or love comes to you and says, hey, I know the needs you have in your life and I want you to know I'm praying for you. And they tell you specific prayers that they've prayed. And, and it's, it's just so encouraging when you've been in that moment. And maybe you've never had that experience. But what I want you to, to hear this morning from John 17 is this is Jesus's prayer for you and for me. And there's nobody better to pray for us than Jesus, right? Your grandma was sweet and she's probably right below him, but he is still the best person to have pray for you. And what does he pray for you? He prays that you will be so connected to your brothers and sisters in Christ that your relationships will reflect his relationship with the Father. He says complete unity. Not that they'll be nice to each other. Not that they'll be some version of Southern sweet or Midwestern nice. But that they will dwell together, live together in complete unity. That you and I, you can't be complete unity without knowing each other, without putting in investments of time and effort. You're not going to know that without having some difficult conversations at times. You're not going to know that without putting it in your calendar and building your life around it. But this is his goal. This is his path. This is his plan. That you and I would live in complete unity. And he says, when you do, that is going to help the world know that Jesus has come from the Father. Because there's nothing else in the world that can unite people at that level. Right? You, you get glimpses of it in marriage, but you sometimes see it in friendship. But you rarely see it of people from diverse backgrounds, diverse economic standings, diverse political positions, diverse educational backgrounds from different parts of a city where they come together and they live in complete unity, where they know and love each other, where they serve and protect each other, where they give of themselves for the benefit of others. And this is Jesus's prayer for you and I, not that we would just go to a small group a couple times a month, not that we would be in a local church where we recognize some faces, but that we would know a depth of relationship that is defined by our unity together. And that in every way the enemy tries to pull us apart, we stay with him. And so it j just once again, in, in case you still don't believe that community is God's plan for you, in Genesis, we're told you're made in the image of God. And he is going to make you like him, which means he eternally exists in community. And then Jesus comes along and says, hey, I know all the ways that community has been broken. And I just want you to know I'm here to restore it. And I'm here to restore it, not just so you get along, not just so you can kind of get through the next season. I'm here to restore your experience of community to the point that you live in complete unity. And I don't know about you, but I know in my life, I'm not there yet. And I don't live in complete unity with all of my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I want to. And I need the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to come and continue to give me the ability to pursue those things and to experience those things. 
And that's what we're going to walk through over the coming weeks of what does it look like and what does it take to live in community and how does God provide. But, but for this morning, I just want to finish with this reminder of we are all created for community. No matter your personality, no matter your experience, no matter how long you've been part of this local church or whatever local church you, you participate in, no matter how long you follow Jesus, you are made for community. And it might have went wrong a thousand ways before today. And yet the good news of the gospel is it is never too late to start experiencing the life that Jesus has for you. So if you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us. And we're going to ask the Lord to come and give us the ability to believe and experience the community that he's created for us. We you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we pray, first of all, for, for anyone in the room or online with us that Lord, they've never known community because they've never lived in community with you. Their sin has kept them separated. They've never known you as their savior. Jesus, we pray today that you would come and you would invite them into a relationship with you. Lord, we ask that as, as they receive your forgiveness, they would take your, their place as your sons and your daughters and they would take their place in the community in which you're planting them. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us. You see, um, Lord, the excitement or the terror that the idea of community creates in our hearts and minds. You know, all the experiences we've had that, that make this either easier or more difficult. Lord, my prayer this morning is that we would all commit ourselves to living as you've created us to live. We believe we are made in the image of God, which includes a deep experience of community. So Lord, we come today to ask, will you forgive us for all the reasons we've excused ourselves from that experience? Will you take away every source of our sin or the sins of others that have been placed on us that have kept us from it? And today, Jesus, will you come and remind us that we have been created to be whole and that wholeness includes finding our place in community. Lord, we know this is a process. We know that relationships are built over time. And yet today we want to individually and collectively make the decision that we long to see your prayer for us fulfilled. We wanna be a people who are one. We wanna be a people who live in complete unity. We want to be a people who reflect the reality that you have come from God. You are our savior, our king, and our Lord. And we want our relationships to be a witness to the world of your transforming power in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.